Hey everyone, I'm Jeff Sorensen, co-founder and director of Optimize, a student-led social innovation community at the University of Michigan that provides support, mentorship, and funding for students to turn ideas into impact. And this is the Why Not Me podcast, where I speak with entrepreneurs, activists, researchers, and leaders from all walks of life about how they're using their life to make a positive impact in the world. For today's episode, I spoke with Nando Felton, He's a former Optimize Fellow and a current master's student in educational design at the School of Education at the University of Michigan. He's also the founder of Building Successful Bridges, an organization that does educational outreach programming for students in the Detroit area. In this episode, we talk about Nando's incredible life journey uh, to end up at the University of Michigan and how that's given him a passion and sense of purpose for illuminating possibilities for people who might not see themselves in higher education to pursue that path. He talks about his project, he talks about student activism, and the experience of being a black student at the University of Michigan. Finally, we talk about the future of education and what models might look like to bring more participation from all stakeholders and from a much more diverse range of people into this future of where we're going together. I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I do. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have had this conversation with Nando and without further ado, here's the episode. Nando Felton, hey, how's welcome it going? to the pod. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. <laughs> I've been looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, I appreciate I, it. I actually even, uh, you were just telling me about your morning, but for my morning, I, I picked out a shirt specific for our episode. I haven't showed you this yet. Okay, I picked out a shirt too. Specific. Okay, okay yours says, I'm Nat, I'm Garvey, I'm Malcolm, I'm a liberator. Yeah. What does that mean to you? So for me, um, I remember growing up actually being uh, adopted, but my adopted mother is a a very important role in my life. And she taught me the ways of, you know, being an advocate for my community in a sense of standing up for anything you see unjust and unfit. And I remember for me just growing up and just looking at, you know, the likings of Malcolm X, um, Martin Luther King, Marcus Garvey, Nat Turner, and just seeing how, you know, their impact made such a huge uh, not just within their time, but in history. You know, today their names carry on as a legacy. And I always wanted to be just 1% of what these people were in the sense of freeing um, freeing our mind, just understanding that, you know, we do have a place in this earth. It doesn't matter where you come from. Um, and that, yeah, so that's pretty much why I wore the shirt today. And it just speaks on, you know, being a liberator on campus, on and off campus, in the classroom, just anywhere where I want to, like, sit down and plant my feet for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're certainly, you know, well on your way to to having that kind of life, right? I appreciate that. <laughs> so we're we're going to talk about a lot of that today. Sounds you know, good. Building successful bridges, the yeah. the work you're doing now with the School of Education at Michigan, uh, you know. I think it's all centered around that theme, right? Liberation yeah. and the ways that education can can play into that. Definitely. I think education plays a big role in the sense of liberation and yeah, liberating, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the shirt I'm wearing mm -hmm. is says, uh, so this is, I was super excited this morning because I was like, yeah. wait, this is perfect. And and then I realized it's perfect on multiple levels. So mm -hmm. so this is, it says Humboldt University, Zoo Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> oh, I see that. Right. <laughs> so one of the last trips I went on before COVID, I haven't been on a plane since March, 2020. Wow. I was, I, I was on a plane on March 10, 2020, mm -hmm. which was the day that COVID was really like hitting. Yeah. And we got home and it was like on the tv the president's like everyone coming into the country is being tested and we're like yeah. well 
We just got off a plane at like 500 people. We walked in. There was no questions about anything. Were you wearing masks on the plane? No, oh, no. no oh, well, actually, I was. Yeah. I was, but most people were. Mark, yeah. um, I was just because I was feeling a little sick anyway. But yeah. anyway, uh, that was not even the Berlin trip. But I went to Berlin a few months before that. And I didn't have a huge agenda for what I wanted to do. Um, but I knew the one place I wanted to go was Humboldt University. Mm-hmm. And so, do you know much? Have you heard? It sounds very this? familiar, but no, I'm not exactly sure. Okay. So, the second connection here is that you're from Germany. Yeah. yeah. So, we'll talk about that a little bit. Because <laughs> okay. you're sort of from Germany, but also from Detroit. Exactly. Which yeah. I don't think a lot of people have that combo. Yeah, I don't think they have that experience as well. I mean, I grew up um, in Germany. lived there for about seven years of my life. But my father was in the Air Force. So, I mean, I traveled back and forth from America to Germany a couple of times. I lived in, Ger- so I was born in Germany, in Bitburg, Germany, and lived there from, until the age of five, where I was then, uh, I then moved to America with my father. He lived in Utah. And then two years later, hey, let's decide to go back to Germany. <laughs> Went back to Germany and moved to Ramstein Air Force Base. While I was in Utah, my father worked at a Hill Air Force Base in Utah. Then we moved back to Germany. I loved it, met so many great friends. I remember the first time I got <laughs> on the bus back home from, it had to have been elementary school or middle school. Uh, the bus took me right into my neighborhood, but I didn't know where, where I was at because all the street signs were in German. <laughs> and then I remember I met this kid on the bus. His name was Kyle, Kyle Glenn. And uh, he's like, yeah. I was like, hey, Kyle, I don't, I don't know where my house is. He's like, oh, it's okay. Just follow me. It's like right here. <laughs> so he knew where your house was. He knew where the house was. <laughs> but And I remember I was so scared and lost. Um, so a couple years later, decided to move back to America in 2007 and I ended up in Arizona. And my dad is working at Luke Air Force Base. Um, so yeah, I've been in Germany for about seven, eight years of my life and I'm 23 now. So at a point there was about, it was about half of my life, but you know, now it's kind of like slowly transcending more focused on America. And then in 2010, I moved to Michigan. So I've been to Michigan now for 10 going on 11 years. And you, we'll come back to Humboldt University because yeah. I, I want to talk about that because it's related to I think everything you're doing and I'm doing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think one of the things, one of the reasons I've been so excited to talk to you is I, I think you're one of the few people, maybe not few, but one of the people who resonates most with me of like, you're also on this life journey of trying to really transform education, yeah. you know, and, and seeing, and, and that's obviously my life too. Yeah. Um, so we'll come back to Humboldt because I, I do want to talk about how that relates, but I'm also, I didn't know all of your life story until very recently and i still don't know it all (laughs) but i I didn't even necessarily know all those places that you'd been um it's been a journey so yeah so you moved to detroit in 2010 and do you identify as a detroiter now yeah so i do actually um i believe that detroit gave me like i would say the grit the tenacity to to push on and and there's so many obstacles that pop up in our life you know there's trials tribulations that we face you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, we might even be in a traffic jam. But I think that just understanding that if you push through and are persistent, um, I'm a very, you know, spiritual guy, have a, a strong faith. And I realized that, you know, coming from Detroit, it, it's beautiful. It's, it's a beauty and a struggle. In a sense of, I remember times taking, you know, taking the bus to school and you see uh, so many different walks of life, you know, on the DDOT bus, the local transportation and or just driving through Detroit, you would see some blocks with just one house and the rest might be abandoned. You know, it kind of gives you a sense of, you know, there's a reason I'm here. 
you know, and there's also a reason why I'm blessed in a sense. I don't live in this community per se, mm-hmm. but you have to realize that this is still your community. And I remember that I always wanted to make a change. I always wanted to find a way um, to make that change. And I remember learning in, in high school that there are actually more abandoned houses than there are homeless people. And to me, that that was striking me because I was like, people can can help. People can make change. People can put these displaced people into these homes. Like, what is the problem? I never really understood the dynamics of of poverty and homelessness um, until maybe having to face it my own one day. Um, So I remember the transition from Arizona to Michigan. As a kid, I was sheltered in a sense that my father didn't really share what was going on. You know, I was I was 12 years old, didn't really understand uh, what it means to get evicted or to be homeless in a sense. But my father did a great job in parenting and keeping me protected. I remember coming home from school one day and seeing an eviction notice on the door. Me not really knowing what it meant, I'm like, okay, it was just something to tell my dad, not really thinking too much of it. Maybe he was a, a month late on the payment of the house, you know? But then as life transcended, um, I realized like, no, there was an eviction. And moving forward, this kind of transcended how I got to Michigan. Uh, my father wanted me to spend the Christmas in Detroit with my brother and his girlfriend at the time to have like a better Christmas because, uh, you know, he knew what was going on. We lost our house. And at the time, I was living with one of my friends for about two to three months, not even knowing I was there for that long um, until recent uh, stories have progressed from that. But yeah, so my dad, uh, we lost the house and he decided to send me to Michigan for Christmas. Uh, we ended up not being able to go for Christmas because there was a $100 uh, unaccompanied minor fee. So I was like devastated. I was like, man, I wanted to go to Detroit so bad. Um, but then we saw another plane ticket to come to Detroit for like December 31st and I would land in Detroit at nine o'clock. So I'd be there right at the cusp of New Year's Eve. (laughs) And so got on the plane, flew to Detroit, um, landed there with my brother picking me up and we went to his place and ate some good food and watched the New Year's ball drop and played this game called, uh, Def Jam Rap Star, where you like read the lyrics uh, on the screen, and it's like you're doing like karaoke, pretty much. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. I was a shy kid back then, um, but I remember opening up to to my brother who I've met before, but not to this full extent, and his girlfriend. Um, life goes on. Uh, my father, at the time, was actually homeless, so he was living in his car. And so I remember looking back now, I realized he protected me in a sense of one of his hardest things in life he had to do was leave his kids behind. And he told me that. Um, and so I remember, like, my father was answering the phone. I was like, what do I have to do? So my brother and his girlfriend enrolled me in school at Henry Ford Academy, School for Creative Studies, which to me was really cool because I loved art. Um, but I still was kind of confused as a kid. And sometimes I used to write in my journal and say I was like a, a, a lost dog with no home, mm. lost puppy. Um, but, yeah, so I enrolled in school. And, like I said, as life goes on, my brother and his girlfriend broke up. But his girlfriend said she'd always take care of me. And Wow. And in time, she adopted me. And she was 27, and I was, like, 12 years old. Wow. Yeah, so to this day, that's that's how I recognize my mom. Yeah. Wow. And so the, 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 the shift from Germany to America when I was five, I'll share with you, Jeff, and to the listeners, uh, my mother was uh, diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And so she wasn't able to, to raise me at a young age because of her illness. And so this is the reason why I moved at a, such a young age from Germany to America. Yeah. So your mother was German or she was over She's there German. with you? Okay. Yep. My mother was born in Germany, German uh, background and descent. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And so 
what help me understand the relationship with your brother that you said you'd you'd met him but yeah so my brother is about 15 16 years older than me and uh so at the time i was probably living everywhere but michigan (laughs) for the most part of my life until i moved when i was 12. and so i remember him coming to utah to visit me him and my other brother coming to visit me in utah and then i remember one summer i think i might have spent a couple summers in detroit as a kid growing up but i remember him meeting my brother and like us just having a relationship but since we were pretty much out of state and out of touch for such a long time it was just almost like a a new meeting again you know yeah a a newer age you know you're older you can understand more it's it's more vibrant it's just kind of more a a fresh start to an extent yeah yeah and at the time did you under you said you didn't really understand what was going on yeah no i didn't understand what was going on actually up until recently so uh my father actually passed away july 27 2020 so up until that point, I had no idea the, the struggle my father was facing and the sense of him being homeless, trying to raise me. Um, and I didn't really understand until he passed away and I asked questions like, you know, what was my dad really going through? And he lost his 401k. Um, since he worked in overseas for over 20 years, he didn't really know like the, the taxes. Right. And so they garnished everything. They took his house, his car. Um, I remember asking dad, like, hey, dad, well, what about the car? Like, why don't you just like, where's the car at? You know, he kind of like, oh, it's at our friend's house. You know, the tires are our ball. You know, he didn't really say like the government took it from us. He didn't want to. He didn't want to tell like, you. Tell me. Yeah. Um, but I think in, in the long run, it, it helped me because, you know, I, I knew what it was like to only wear a couple clothes uh, throughout the week or to have people at school kind of ask questions like, hey, why are you at Dylan's house for so long? Or, you know why are you wearing the same stuff, you know, for me, but it, it kind of built like that, that character. Um, it, it built a lot, you know, and it's, uh, it takes a lot to tear me down, <laughs> I would say. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a long journey and a good journey in a sense of like, I gained so much empathy and understanding for just a human life. Um, and that kind of is a way too. I remember being in school, still maintaining like satisfactory grades, like being on the Dean's list. Um, even though I was going through all these circumstances, but staying protected, um, in a sense, my father wasn't kind of sharing every detail with me. Yeah. And, you know, it seems to me that that's not the norm to be on the dean's list when yeah. you're going through all that. Yeah. So that we can even speak on the transition to Michigan. I remember uh, writing in my journal, my, my adopted mother always wanted me to have a journal. So she saw that I came from a lot of trauma, not really realizing I did, but she saw how, you know, as an adult you kind of see everything going on you know and so I was always journal and I remember writing my journal uh that I would graduate high school as a valedictorian with a 4.0 not even knowing what valedictorian truly meant you did <laughs> heard think- it somewhere <laughs> yeah like, that's a good thing <laughs> or thinking that I would get like a 4.0 GPA um but so yeah just speaking of that I remember going into high school realizing that this is be shocking to listeners. I actually didn't get my U.S. citizenship until 2018. Really? So I was in middle school and high school with no proof of my American citizenship. Um, so I remember, like, okay, so my mom can't afford to pay for me to go to college. She didn't plan on having a kid right now. Kind of just <laughs> land from <laughs> DTW. Um, so I was like, okay, what can I do to go to college? Um, I have to focus on school, and I realized that to do that, I have to get like the highest grades possible. So I remember just, I've always had an eagerness to learn. I love learning, just understanding new things. And I remember that 
I my freshman year I got a 4.0, and I was like nothing less than an A. Of high know? school? Yeah, in high school. Okay. And so moving forward, I remember only getting I think two Bs in my life in high school, and those were like in uh, AP courses, so it's still kind of like as an A minus. But I graduated high school as valedictorian, um, and top of my class with like a 3.99 GPA. Wow. And so I remember like writing that down made such a big importance because it like didn't just hold me accountable but it it put that stuff out there into the universe for me to to succeed and i remember applying to like 22 colleges getting into almost all of them and then it was michigan i remember as a kid my dad my dad grew up in detroit and he'd always wear like fab five michigan stuff wolverine gear yeah and i never really knew like why i was so (laughs) exactly what an era why i was so compelled to come to michigan i knew in high school i wanted to go to school for engineering um and I remember just my dad always wearing this Michigan blue stuff, the Wolverines. Um, I'm talking about Jalen Rose and <laughs> the Fat Five. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't, I love sports, but I wasn't really that good at basketball uh, or football. I just, you know, love sports and hang out with my friends. But uh, yeah, so coming to the University of Michigan, I was open with them. I remember on a job application, they asked me, what's the like hardest decision you ever had to make? And for me, I lied on my application and said that I was a U.S. citizen. Oh, wow. And I knew, like, I technically was. Uh, on your university application? Yeah, my university app. Yeah. And But I said I was a U.S. citizen, and I, like, technically didn't have any proof. So I remember meeting with financial aid and kind of telling, like, hey, you know, I actually am not a U.S. citizen. I don't have proof. So I remember I had to write, like, I think it was unconventional, but I had to write, like, 11 letters from people, like, that were in my community, like my principal, people in my church, my mother, uh, teachers, counselors, to kind of prove that my story was legit wow. in a sense of like how I got to America. Yeah. Um, and Michigan recognized me as a DACA student. So I was undocumented for two years in college, which I don't know any other college that would have just like accepted me. And I remember when the president, uh, Trump at the time, requested that every college share their DACA status. And I know Michigan didn't. And at that time I was, I was spooked. I was like, man, like I'm right here in college it's like my sophomore year i'm just afraid like that any time like i might get like i don't even know if they would have deported me back to germany but i remember like uh yeah that was a scary time um but yeah i remember 2018 august i actually obtained my proof of my u.s citizenship and that was a really great time and finally got my driver's license and everything and got a yeah that was a great time that was a moment to feel proud to be a, yeah. a Michigan Wolverine, right? I no, mean, definitely. I, there's I al- called my M card my golden ticket. Oh. That's what I called it. Yeah, that's the only form of ID I had is my M card. Wow. Yeah. There's so much, you know. I think I knew you at that time. I mean, you had yeah. been in Optimize. Yeah, I, I tried to do Optimize first go around with the BSB. Right. Um, but at that time, we had the name Brothers Seeking Billions. Yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah. So I'll I'll explain. Uh, we chose a name because of the demographic we were, we were aiming towards. We were aiming towards Detroit high school students. And we knew that if we picked the word billions, it would attract them to money and, like, get their attention. But the understanding of the word, of the name, Brothers Seeking Billions, is that we're not just seeking, you know, we're, we're trying to seek a billion connections, networks, and opportunities for the community. Yeah. And that was the catch. And yeah. People, when we'd have a meeting and sit down, they're like, okay, billions, like, you're going to want a billion dollars. We're like, not exactly, but how do we, you know, logistically have a billion connections and people and networks and that was our, our main, main focus at the time we started bsb september 28th 2016 so we're coming up on the five-year anniversary yeah 
we realized that we came to college not just behind academically, but behind in untaught pre-career skills. We didn't understand the importance of like owning a suit or tie, building a resume, navigating career fair. We, in our community, maybe at the dinner table, we might have overheard our parents saying, you know, the, the, the debit card uh, went over the, the limit, you know, or, or you know, there's a, uh, there's a fee associated with that. We didn't really understand the process of, of ownership, having credit, um, and how important that was. So we took it amongst ourselves to teach ourselves. And we reached out to older students at the time, upperclassmen, one by the name of Kenny Johnson. Um, now he works on Wall Street at Blackstone, big private equity group. Um, but Kenny taught us not to be afraid in a sense of let's share amongst ourselves, you know, our elevator pitches on the spot. Huh. Boom. Give me an elevator pitch. Right now we're just walking down the hall or maybe we're walking to a, a tailgate. Elevator pitch. You know, put it on me. Tell me about yourself. You know, and realizing that you know not to be afraid of where we come from or our experiences. And I remember that we came up with the with this idea, and we picked uh, our first logo was Mansa Musa, who was at time one of the richest wealthiest people in the world. But what we realized in, in researching him was that how he spread education and knowledge through tons of parts of Africa, and how his existence is still around and known for. It's known for wealth, but I think the more deeper understanding is it's known for sharing knowledge and building universities and building schools along the way as he gave money um, away. And so I was like, wow, if this one person can have such a big impact and sit on something, like I might not be sitting on a gold mine, but I think my experiences are, are as equivalent and not just mine, but all those around me are as equivalent to, to gold and wealth. Um, and so with that, we realized okay, how do we share this knowledge and experiences that we've acquired and seen on the university campus? And we were like, okay, it's time to give back. And we saw that once you get to Michigan, you're pretty much set in a sense of like, once you're here, you're, you're good to go, you're good to rock and roll. Right. And you go to a career fair, they're more than likely gonna pick you over the other candidate, which is just kind of the way of politics and higher education. So we decided to focus our shift on K through 12. And with this change, we decided to come more of like a, a reframing and decided to change the name, keeping the acronym BSB, um, but making it Building Successful Bridges. I remember we had a meeting and we used to meet like in <laughs> random classrooms <laughs> in Angel Hall. At the time, you were able to like kind of pick the lock with your M card and <laughs> go into the classrooms. <laughs> At that time, we didn't know the the, <laughs> the real ways <laughs> into getting into I thought you were requesting. We could reserve it with our exactly. empire. <laughs> no, like, no, we're going to use this we're as gonna a lockpick. We're going to use this as a lockpick. So, I mean, the custodians, would, they all knew us. We would always be in Angel Hall. Uh, <laughs> the custodians were like, how did they get in here? Well, the door was unlocked. Uh, I remember they changed all the locks, uh, for, I think, for all the buildings. But uh, So we, <laughs> we would have meetings in there after all of us were done with class. It would be late. Uh, and I remember Devin, one of the co-founders, there's 10 of us, um, with the group still, there's three of us that are like on the main team, Kingsley and Darrell, but everyone still has a big role in a sense of like, they're still there within our own community and group space. I remember Devin Harris, uh, we were in a meeting trying to figure out how are we going to name this new org? And he was like, he's like building, building successful bridges. He just blurted it out. Yeah. And we we're like, what did you just say? You know, and from that point forward, that's we're like, beautiful. Th that's the word. That's yeah. the name we're going to go with. Um, and it connects so much to this concept that's so powerful, you know, of it's not just about, you know, promotion and recruitment. It's also about that whole experience of 
helping someone get into a new environment. And then exactly. once they're here on the other side of the bridge, what does that look like? It can't exactly. just be a, you don't want to walk over a bridge and then fall off the cliff, right? You need to have something on the other side. And so yeah. we're actually doing a, a lot of work with transfer bridges mm -hmm. and using that metaphor as yeah. a way to think about program design too. And it's been, I mean, it's been, it's now, as you know, a core part of Optimize is yeah. that we're running one of the you know, largest community college transfer programs at Michigan. Wow. And it's transfer bridges. It's yeah. what we're calling it, you know, and it's not just us, but, but yeah, I mean, that concept is huge. And you made that switch after you'd been in Optimize. You, I yeah. remember you were a brother seeking billions. Yeah, at the we start. were in Optimize at first and kind of just not really knowing the, like I said, well, before we, we spoke on the recording, um, BSB turned into an idea and to reality. I never knew the impact that BSB could make, you know, on and, off and or off the campus because we just had an idea of how do we give back to the community that we just left from? How do we reach back and pick up the person that's, you know, next to come? And with that being said, we saw the importance of BSB and the importance of having representation in the classroom, the importance of exposing students to things that they have not been exposed to. Uh, so with newly being established and when we, we were in the cohort, of optimize and we won the challenge uh one of 35 teams to be out of 300 plus student organizations on campus to be awarded uh we got won a nine thousand dollar grant and this helped us towards hosting high school students in metro detroit area on campus and expose them to necessary collegiate resources and i remember right after that like bsb just like took off we were in a meeting we, we just went to so many events, like I can't even really yeah. explain, but we were like at a big meeting in Detroit and this guy who started a program in Sacramento called Improve Your Tomorrow uh, flew us out to California where we uh, shared a story and facilitated a workshop about imposter syndrome. And we met with over 111th and 12th graders from across the Sacramento area high schools at Sacramento State University. And I remember just talking to these students and letting them know that, you know, don't be afraid of where you come from. Don't be afraid to share your story. And I saw how important it was to be able to represent, you know, the minority population in a classroom space or in a learning space. Because right now, if you look at statistics and research, roughly 70 to 80% of students, of teachers, sorry, are white Christian women. Less than 2% of those are black males. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible when you think about the diversity of the country. Yeah. It is. And even just state by state. And in a sense of let's not try to reinvent the classroom and reinvent the teaching workforce. But how do we find advocates that are for the community and put them in these spaces? Because my main goal is to make learning subconscious. How do I make learning engaging and fun? Like if I were to tell a group of eighth graders right now, we're going to go on a Fortnite trip. You guys can travel the world playing Fortnite. Or we tell them in the middle of class, like, hey, here goes a PS5, play Fortnite. I'm pretty sure more than half the class is going to want to engage and jump on that. But I want to find a way to say, hey, we're bringing in 10 students from universities across the state, and they're going to share something with you guys. And I want them to learn so much because I want them to see themselves in these students as well as being exposed to new, uh, to new ideas, to new technology, new ways of approaching the classroom. And with that, remember we uh, established partnerships with the University of Michigan College of Engineering and Texas Instruments with BSB. And we hosted a STEM workshop session for 80 plus students from the Mary Grove High School students. So thus stretching students basic understanding of coding with Texas Instruments, Rovers, and Calculators. I remember meeting with these newly incoming high school students 
and asking them like, how many of you guys have ever worked, you know, on a project like this and learned about engineering? None of them have. And I was like, wow, like this one session with these students could have helped propel anyone in this class to, to look more into engineering and look more into into that. And, you know, it's almost like the optimized catchphrase, you know, illuminate possibility. Yeah. I feel like Which the mug I'm drinking out of may or may not. Have yeah, the there. mug. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of just looking right there at me. Um, but yeah, I just saw we all saw how important that was to to be an advocate for our community. And that's one thing I believe that teachers, it's important to have black teachers or just black advocates because there's someone that can advocate for the students. Right. And it's not that, uh, as you said, a white Christian woman as yeah. a teacher can't be an amazing ally and partner exactly. in that work. Right. And but there's something different for a black high school student to see you yeah. or someone in BSB such close proximity to their age too we're not yeah. that, we're not that we're not that far removed right. in age difference yeah and i'm guessing a lot of teachers regardless of their race or identity yeah. understand that right so you I'm, I'm guessing many of the schools that you partnered with, you were going into classrooms that were led by white Christian women, yeah. right? And and that's that doesn't necessarily have to be a conflict, right? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's it's a sense of, you know, learning doesn't stop once you leave the classroom. And I think a lot of t- parents and students kind of think that, that once you leave out of a classroom, education and learning stops. But it continues, and it's more important, especially in the summertime, um, but like I said, goal is to make education subconscious in a sense of making it fun and engaging. And I want students to learn without even thinking they're learning. Yeah. You know, because it's that that lack of exposure um, that students have to a lot of amazing things out there. So you've ended up doing, you know, sessions with students from more than 50 schools. Yeah. You said. And across the across the country. Yeah. yeah. And and largely in, you know, Southeast Michigan, but also California. Yeah. And, and it it strikes me, you know. As you've been telling me this story, uh, the power of of a certain of an individual person, you know, it's this kind of this cliche, the power of one, but it's you know yeah. the optimized phrase again. Why not me, right? Yeah. And and what impact can I make? And it doesn't mean that any individual is going to be, like you said, Malcolm, right? Yeah. <laughs> that only a few people historically end up being that kind of yeah, person, I mean, it, right? It's, he is there for a reason, right? You know, it's, right. It's him. Yeah. yeah, and and there's all kinds of factors that go into that. Uh, some of which is just luck, right? It's like who's gonna <laughs> who's gonna yeah. be the historically <laughs> remembered figure, you know? Right. But you know, behind those, not even behind, just less visible in the historical framework are the Kennys, right? Mm-hmm. Or or you or your mom, yeah. your adopted mom who, you know, just listening through that story of thinking about, okay, so you end up now in classrooms with kids, illuminating possibilities for them, right? Exactly. And, and making them maybe believe in themselves of what they can do and maybe helping them feel they belong along that bridge, right? Yeah. Um, but then, you know, even before that, when you're a first-year student and you meet Kenny yeah. and you're on the way to the tailgate and he's quizzing you on your elevator pitch, like, that that's not normal yeah <laughs> you know like like that's a special person who yeah. who does that for you and for others around and 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 even before that you know it, it's for for someone like your adopted mom to meet you as the girlfriend of your brother yeah it's and, unconventional and then you they yeah. break up and she says i'm going to adopt you yeah that's incredible right and and she might not go down in history but 
all of these things are people along the way who then make it possible for you to inspire a kid in a classroom who might have never thought that they could go to college. Exactly. They might have never seen themselves in, in industries that they don't see themselves a lot. So one thing, uh, starting my grad school program in the winter, but doing like a soft launch into it and realizing that the higher up you go, the less you see. Meaning that the higher up you go as a black person in this in America, the less of you you see. Mm. Um, in my classes, even in my cohort, I think I'm the only black student. Really? No other black female, other black males in my uh, actual focus group of my of my graduate major. You know, and for me, I remember coming to college and, and being in the Summer Bridge program and almost being confused because there were so many minorities within that Summer Bridge program. Right. And then, and then I remember... <laughs> The summer classes started and I was like, whoa, the cafeteria took a shift from minority to familiarity to like, whoa, it's like a lot of white kids. The fall classes. Yeah. No, right. no. We, well, there were summer classes. And then fall is even and a whole additional. Yeah, and fall was like a, it was, it made you feel like you don't belong. You know, that's right. kind of how I got there. I remember feeling in the, in the summer, like, wow, we're here. Like we're actually at the University of Michigan. Like this yeah. is all we thought about as kids and in our uh, college applications. Like, are we actually going to get in? And then we're finally here. And then you have this sense of, I really belong here. You know, you walk around campus, you might not see a familiar face the whole day. Yeah. You know, or, you know, we have these certain local meetup spots, like in the basement of the union before it was renovated. Um, or now it's Trotter, you know, the multicultural space on campus. But, you know, there's been a lot of times where students, you know, might not have seen themselves in, in certain spaces. Yeah, that's a, that's one of the challenges of the Summer Bridge program, I know. Yeah. And, and that program's incredible. Speaking yeah. of bridges, right? Exactly. I mean, that's that's Speaking been of there bridges, for a long time. Yeah. That helped bridge me to where I'm at now as well. Yeah. yeah. And it grew out of the black action movement. Exactly. You know, I mean, it, it's it that history is deeply embedded in black students and faculty and staff on campus, yeah. even as a very small minority here, creating a, a huge change. And, and, you know, this program is just one of the many things that came from that. Right. Um, I mean, it's the reverberations of that are still happening today. Um, yeah. But, you know, I love that summer bridge program because, and Optimize has been a partner with them every summer except for the COVID summers, yeah. you know, because <laughs> things change. But, um, you know, the students that are here, it's an incredibly diverse range of experiences, but united by the fact that the students in that program are underrepresented as a whole yeah. in the Michigan student body, regardless Definitely. of race. Race mm -hmm. is one way that that's the case, but... There's other ways too. Yeah, there is. Um, class, you know, and, and, and life experiences, right? And it's sort of this amazing time for students in that program. And you can tell, you know, I've been, like, as I've said, you know, working with those students. But then you start to see this shock of when everyone comes back. Yeah. Not everyone, everyone else comes yeah. back. And you realize, oh, the, you know, this group I've been a part of is actually kind of a small percentage of the, the overall. Yeah. So, what how did you adjust to that you're talking about that kind yeah, of yeah so shock. i'll i'll kind of share some stories and some of the experience i had adjusting to the university i think uh i remember a very like impactful moment was when obama left office and donald trump came in i think on campus for most of us it was a kind of a dark scary hours in a sense of people were were flying uh confederate flags out of their dorm windows um and even during that time really? yeah here at right down the street on what's that madison outside of south quad and and west quad i didn't flying, know that yeah they were flying trump poster flags 
and just kind of I mean, emphasize. It's one thing to, to you know if you're if you voted for Trump to fly a to Trump sure. poster. Yeah. It's another thing to hang a Confederate flag out yeah. your window. window. Yeah, and it it kind of it was a sad time. I remember all of us were in the former Trotter Building, the Black community, not all of us, but a lot of a big percentage of us, and we were watching, you know, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump the college electoral votes you know going back and forth and wh- what year is this for you 2016 at, but at michigan it's my what, freshman year you're also okay so this is like so this freshman is year like th- th- yeah. two, two months in the school you know? i mean you talk about transitions normally from yeah. the summer bridge program into the fall yeah but fall 2016 is a year that no one's going to forget yeah. anytime soon regardless of where you were i feel like everyone know, knew where they were at during the time right you know, the new president-elect was uh, was into office yeah and yeah. campus was I mean, I, yeah. I'm never going to forget that. Yeah. And know, I, I've been here since 2009. And yeah. that year for me stands out. You know, I mean, this honestly, 2020 obviously stands yeah. out as well. <laughs> We've had <laughs> no a lot was, of no weird one was years. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone was here, Jeff. This is my first time back on campus in like a year and a half. Like right. Being in a classroom. <laughs> right. But, um, okay. So. Yeah. We've got a very weird context overall and exactly. an even bigger adjustment. So, yeah. so, so I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no. So progressing into that, then there comes the liberator we spoke about earlier in me. Seeing that there are still so many unjust things going on on campus. And for me, I remember my biggest fear was I wasn't a citizen. And would the university blacklist me if I decided to speak up and take mm. action? And I told myself that you know, if I don't take action, who else is going to take action? You know, and I just saw there were so many things on campus that didn't sit right with me. Um, moving into my sophomore year, probably like the first couple of weeks in the class, one of my peers, we come to his, he comes to his dorm and he sees the N word written on his door tag. Yeah. And this made like, you know, Michigan statewide news. Sure. And uh, it's happened in West Quad. And I remember the night before we were studying and I remember this is the first time I ever told my, my friend like, hey. I know we got to study for this, but I don't know if you're going to feel comfortable going into library because you don't know who did it, you know, and, and, and it, it inconvenienced us from learning that day. Right. Um, and I remember taking notice of that and realizing, like, hey, how can we disrupt someone's learning the same way they disrupted ours and, and make a statement and make it bold and follow the, the likings of Rosa Parks? And so I decided to find a way to shut down the buses for an hour at the busiest time um <laughs> on campus i don't know if you remember that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some some do <laughs> and i remember oh, tell, tell, tell yeah i remember <laughs> so at this time i'm still not a citizen and i'm like okay the university can like blacklist me take away my scholarships but i'm like it's bigger than just me it's it's a sense of you know how can we stand up for everyone in this go around so I remember looking up a lot of legality. I remember I had one of my old high school counselors actually in law school. He's not a lawyer, so he couldn't give me any law advice, but he could kind of point me in the right directions and ask him, what is it like when you block off a street? Like, is there like a way that you can reroute traffic almost like they do on game day when all the cars go in one direction? And I wasn't really impeding traffic in my sense of when I drew out this grand scheme of how to block off the roads, but have traffic still being able to flow. And we had someone on the inside working with the buses and they told us the busiest time is 10 o'clock in the morning for the buses. That's when like everyone's sure. moving in the bus station. 10 a.m. classes. 10 a.m. classes. Yeah. yeah. So at the time, the bus, the transit center was called CC Little. So to give you some background on CC Little, this is a former University of Michigan president who believed in eugenics. Yeah. Who Hitler 
his sets have actually got a lot of ideology from uh, in his, you know, Nazi movement. Sure. And when I found this out, <laughs> when I was just walking on campus one day and someone shared with me, I was like, so you're telling me that this building is representative of someone who, if his ideas would have reached mass media, my grandparents might not have ever had my father. Like, that's what you're telling me. And from that point forward, I was like, there has to be a shift and change about this. So we're going to target that bus stop. And for- fast forward a little bit. Yeah. Fortunately, Fortunately, that has been removed. Yeah, I mean, there's times where I had to, <laughs> we had students wearing bloody gowns walking down the campus protesting. Yeah. Um, we, I remember one day I wore all black and went into the provost meeting and told the president to his face that he's a liar. You know, and I, I, I told him, I was like, president, what would it feel like every day if your students are walking to Hitler station? You know, and I had to find a way to, in a sense, gain empathy with with the president in a sense of, you know, this is what it feels like for my community. Every day we're supposed to saying, hey, meet me at CC Little, meet me there. Yeah. That's like, hey, meet me at Hitler Station, meet me at Adolf. You know, and I had to, I had to do it. I had to, to share what it felt like because I didn't know any other way that it could transcend and give that message of like, hey, this has to be taken down because it represents something that it, it's, it's like, I can't, it's like horrible, you know? Yeah. And there were faculty allies in that too. Angela Dillard, yeah. a good friend of ours, was a big part of you know yeah. helping to figure out the institutional ways to get yeah. the name changed. Yeah, and I, I remember I was like, well, I'm going to keep pushing and try to change it because I remember they were telling us it was like a, a funding thing. They're, the building is there because of funding. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to – I'll shut down the campus. I'll shut down the bus station every single day until it's changed. That's what I told the faculty. <laughs> so was that re- – that was related. So you so – That was also related to this to incident the in West Quad. incident as your, well as your the, friends. the changing of the name. And the change – yeah. Th- I remember there was, you know, a lot going on a lot all that, at yeah. once, right? Yeah. If, like, you know, we are, we're having these incidents. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't the first one. Yeah. But we had a string of things like that. Yeah, even like and Dana, he kneeled on campus for over 20 hours. Yes. Yeah. So that's another friend of yours. Uh, appear, yeah, appear, appear. Um, I remember that, and that's not easy on the knees. Yeah, it's not, and you know, it's he made a bold statement. I don't know exactly remember what his statement was, but if I can interpret it, it's like from from what came, uh, how the president and faculty and staff. It's so hard to get their attention. Yeah, but I think before all these events, they really were listening to students and not realizing that students are the power. If if all of us decide not to go to class one day. If no one decides to come to optimize, you know, like what is going to happen, you know? Yeah. So realizing that, you know, we have the power in a sense of we can make that change. Students have more power than they realize, I think, exactly. you know, and, and one of the things that I try to do and, and what I lo- what I like about what you're talking about here. One of the things I try to do is try to help students think about what is the actual outcome that you're hoping for? Yeah. Right. Because just expressing anger doesn't actually accomplish much and it can actually make things worse for for yourself too you out know, of emotion it, we can make a lot of mistakes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i've done it <laughs> i've done it right so i and and so what you're talking about here of saying can we disrupt you know going back to shutting down the buses yeah. can we disrupt your learning for an hour and your being everyone on campus right yeah. basically in the way that ours was disrupted by that. as exactly. you said and that's not a it's not out of vengeance right it's out of i need you to understand exactly right because for me as you know a white man on campus and not that that's my whole identity yeah right but for me to read that was heart-wrenching right 
and I, I, I didn't know, you, you know, your friend personally, but yeah. as obviously I'm an ally to black students on campus in many ways. And I mean, he was, was actually a, a founding member of BSB. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't make the, and obviously in the news yeah, yeah. report, it didn't say who's, who's Dorm was. Dorm, yeah. So I didn't know who it was, but for me, it was, it was a hard thing to read, but I was able to go about my day. Yeah. Right. It, it wasn't like, who did this? Will I see that? You know, but for him and for you and for many other black students on campus, maybe most black students on campus, yeah. that's a disruption, as you said. And, and it's not just something where it's like, oh, don't be emotional. It's like, no, this materially affects my ability to succeed to for learn. the purpose I'm here, yeah. right? Like I'm here to get my education and now I'm not able to do that the way that I want to. And that's a real tangible material effect of racism, right? It's, yeah. it, and it wastes your time. It wastes, right? And so for you to do what you did, which tell me about how it actually ended up. So Yeah, so I remember kind of walking around campus like I would go to like all the student meetings like, hey, I have a presentation to share. Let me upload my Google Drive real quick and, and pull it up. And it was me sharing how we would shut down the buses uh, on a certain particular day at a certain particular time with the idea that I want every student because we're inconvenienced to learn. Right now, we don't have any safe space to learn on campus. So I want us to sit down in the middle of the bus stop and do our homework, study. Because um, at the time, you know, the same way you said, Jeff, you could get up and read it and say that's sad and continue with your life. It was hard for us to realize, like, where can we actually study on campus? Where are we safe? Right. Where are we going to sit when no one's going to pick at us or point at us or stare at us? Like, what are they doing here? You know, so I decided the best place for us to study at that time was together on the street, sitting down. Um, and... I remember just, it was hot that day too. It was really hot. <laughs> it was really hot. I, got, it was good really, protest. You got to yeah, suffer yeah, was, a little bit. <laughs> it, was, it was really hot that day. Um, a hot September day. But yeah, I remember I just, uh, it was just, it was beautiful in a sense of just making a, an, a demonstration, a peaceful demonstration. Um, we had our white allies blocking the rows of posters, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, just reminiscing on it. It was uh, it was important that we that we made those decisions to to go forth and and it wasn't just my idea backing. I mean, I had so many supporters in the sense I couldn't just block all the buses myself. You know, there was a it was an effort. Um, and at, at at times I was afraid to say like, hey, you know, I help lead this, but I think it, it's in the past and I, I'm able to like come out and say, hey, like I led it. Like not to say like, hey, University of Michigan, I was the one I did it. You know, not right. to incriminate myself, but at the time, it was almost incriminating, but I still felt that, you know, if something happened, I would have made a just change, and the name did get changed eventually. Yeah. 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 So for anyone listening who, you know, doesn't remember the yeah. specifics of the event, so it's a, a big group of people across the road on North U. Yeah. Studying. Studying. Yeah, sitting down. What, what a statement. Yeah. And having allies block off the buses. Yeah. I remember, like, just seeing, the, and the bus drivers are just sat there. And they're yeah. like, well, the, it's shut down. Like, we're going to just... And some of them would turn around, and it was nice. The police came, and, you know, they were saying they were here to protect us and stuff. But uh, I spoke to them a little bit and just saying, yeah, we're just studying. You know, <laughs> we're not harming anyone. The traffic is redirected, and, you know, it can move freely because they can go around one of the, like, adjacent streets. Sure, yeah. sure. So it's just the buses that were actually shut down. Yeah, just the actual buses. And students were like, how are we going to get to class? <laughs> yeah. Well, but that was yeah. in the intended audience, right? Intended audience, yeah. And so, I mean the thoughtfulness of that, of yeah. like, 
look, if you're trying to get to the hospital or you're trying to get to like, yeah, anywhere. you go this way, right? Like there's still a way to go. You know, right. they re, I remember they rerouted the buses to like drop off at other locations during that time. It was pretty cool. <laughs> like, wow, they got pretty fast. <laughs> so that's another impact is you yeah. got to have people rerouting yeah. and everything. Oh, well, that's, that's, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect for us to go on this tangent, but I'm glad we did. Yeah. Cause I think that there's a lot, a lot to process in that of, you know, yeah. h- how do you do something that, makes a real strong powerful statement actually affects change in the ways that you want exactly and it was part of a bigger effort you know yeah. there's there's a lot as i said with faculty and staff as well going on with with you know trying to uh, get what's now called i think the something north university yeah building the, the nub the yeah north the university, <laughs> literally the, nub. the north university building. <laughs> it is another name change yeah. we need it don't i like that though <laughs> i like that I like yeah so uh well, so, you know, th- this has been really awesome for me to, you know, learn more of your story yeah. and, and um, you know, I there's a co- I want to talk more about kind of what you're doing now and how it really yeah. uh, finally come back to my yeah. shirt here and is it with Humboldt University in a minute. But, um, you know, w- sticking on that idea, though, that, you know, one person can make such an impact. Can you tell me more about your mom? Yeah. My adopted mom? Yeah. Yeah. So for her, she's think played like one of the most pivotal roles in my life um in a sense that she took me when she was 27 so now i'm 23 i could never imagine adopting a 12 year old in like four years time um but yeah she she always said that my father raised me and she just took what was there and built upon it you know um she helped me understand so one thing she always said is put everything in perspective now the hardest part is keeping it there, but you can put everything in perspective, but you mm-hmm. got to keep it there. And this followed me today, you know, and for the days to come of just putting everything in the perspective, realizing that uh, I'm a blessing and I am to be, I'm, I'm to bless others as well. You know, I'm blessed, so be a blessing. Um, and so yeah, she's helped me. I remember trying to go to high school. Um, and she wanted to put me in the best high school possible. This was like, at the time, it was like West Bloomfield International Academy. I remember seeing how hard she was advocating for me to go to these schools. Like, hey, my son has a great GPA. He's like top of his middle school class. Why won't you let him in the door? You know, and I learned about like this redlining and zoning thing that you have to be within the community to, in a sense, get the best education. But, and that fueled me. I remember from that day, seeing my mom advocate so hard for me. And me wanting to learn and her not really understanding everything that went into the education system. And me at the time just being a product of, uh, to an extent, a, a charter, a public charter school in Detroit that was ran by an outside organization. Um, was it NHA by chance? I don't know exactly the <laughs> organization. <laughs> we don't need to go into yeah, that. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, I still love and appreciate all my teachers and especially sure. my principal. And I actually am working with him today. Um, but... I think that without my mother, I mean, I wouldn't be here, who I am today. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she always says that, you know, Nando, you'd always have, would have been successful. Um, but I think it just is a big circle to come end up back in Michigan where my father was born and to be attending at the time I wanted to go to school for engineering and to be attending one of the top universities for engineering in, across America. Um, but I remember my my shift changed from engineering to education about two years into college, two to three, actually three years into college. I remember I was so afraid to tell my mom, like, hey, I'm changing from engineering to being an educator. And I remember her response was like, that's amazing. 
you know, like you got to follow your heart and not be afraid to what people will say. I remember I felt like I was choosing to be an engineer, not because of my character, but for, for reputation. In a sense, if you tell someone, hey, Jeff, I'm a mechanical engineer. Oh, you're so smart. That's so hard. Like, you're doing great. You're going to make so much money. But if you tell someone, hey, Jeff, I'm going to school for education, they're like, oh, man, that sucks. You're going to be poor. You're going to be a broke teacher. You know, I want to kind of change that narrative because I believe at the end of the day, once you follow your heart, you know, everything else will fall in place in a sense of I want to make a change just within just one student. You know, if I can ins- help inspire a hundred or even a thousand, you know, that my goal is just one. And my mom always believed in me. She was my biggest advocate. She was always say like, she's not my best friend, but she's my best friend. You know, <laughs> in a sense of she's going to be there, support for me in, in the wrong and or the right. And having someone like that, that believes in you no matter what, even knowing all your trials and tribulations and still believing in you to pursue your dreams, to not give up, to not be afraid. I mean, I can't thank her enough. She sounds like an amazing person. Yeah, (laughs) she is amazing. I mean, yeah, I I feel like I'm a I'm a reflection of her. You know, I I I was always raised to walk and talk like, you know, like God, you know, how do we follow our uh, footsteps of something positive every single day? You know, my mom, like I said, is like a reflection. I try to be like a reflection of her um, in a sense of just, you know, doing what's right, not being afraid to speak up um, in times of unjust situations. And now my big tackle is education and, you know, not fully going into the classroom as a teacher because I'm not well experienced enough to do that. Um, I want to find a way to go around, you know, inspiring children and another another agenda, not reinventing the wheel, but. You know, let's let's dissect it and, and take it apart and let's use some of my engineering background <laughs> to find a way to, to to work these logistics. So let's talk about that. So this yeah. brings us this brings us perfectly to, mm-hmm. you know, the shirt I'm wearing today, yeah. which I need to tell you about. So it's Humboldt University in Berlin. All right. And what this is, is essentially the the prototype for the modern research university. Wow. And so. I think one thing that's really interesting about education and change in education, as someone who's now been working in this for 10 years, and I know you're passionate about this as well, is that when you look at an institution like a university or even a a high school, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that with a lot of other things like, you know, your iPhone or whatever, there's a memory of like, oh, this didn't used to be here and now it is, right? Like we're recording this on a laptop you know, using things that like this just didn't used to exist in my lifetime. Right. And so for me, it's like, oh, this is new. And you think this is where change can happen. Right. Like I can I can create change here. But when you think about a university or a school, I mean, part of the whole brand is this idea that like it's been here forever and it'll be here forever. Yeah. You know, and and we think, well, it's just always been this way. So just this is how it has to be. Right. Um, And what I love and the reason why I had to go to Humboldt when I was in Berlin and why I love wearing this shirt is it's a reminder to me that no, actually this was created, you know, in the 19th century. Um, and at the time it was a radical idea. The idea that you would combine research and education together, like that was just not done. The initial colleges were created for religious purposes and Harvard and sort of the early ones and even earlier than that, Oxford and Cambridge mm-hmm. in the UK were basically to you know, deliver knowledge to clergy, you know, and, and and after that to, you know, to people who were wealthy and just wanted to know how to absorb the received knowledge of the time. And it wasn't going to change. It was very static. 
And it was basically like, how do you absorb what we already know? And this is what we know. And then the enlightenment and the scientific revolution happened. And we realized, oh, wow, we, there's different ways to study the universe. And, and we actually don't know that much. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and so what, what does that mean? Is that depressing or exciting? To me, it's exciting. And to, you know, the idea of the enlightenment, it's exciting because it means there's so much to discover. Right. And the, you know, Humboldt University, which, uh, you know, at the time was, was actually named after, uh, the king of Prussia. <laughs> you have to name it after the you king. You have to right? name it after the king. <laughs> there's, get any there, there's no other way. <laughs> Which at the time, the king was the state. And so it's not that different maybe from the University of Michigan, yeah. the state, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, this is a university that uh, there's the founder of it essentially was was Wilhelm uh, von Humboldt. Um, and, and the Humboldts are interesting. Uh, there's two brothers. Uh, and this is, you know, Germany way back in the in the you know, 1800s. Um, Germany it probably wasn't even a, a country, a nation then. Yeah, I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I think it's Prussia. Yeah. at the time so it's sort of this like big amalgamation of yeah. different um but so wilhelm was like the education guy and his brother actually alexander von humboldt also a very impactful guy was uh this explorer who would just go to like the peruvian jungles and like <laughs> discover all kinds of things you know and um you know just at least discover for sort of you know western the world. yeah yeah, western. <laughs> yeah but um uh interesting guy on that front as well sort of uh, there's a book called the invention of nature about alexander von humboldt of how you know his exploration led to this whole you know new way in sort of the quote-unquote west uh of, of thinking about nature but alexander wilhelm meanwhile is is back home in, in prussia uh coming up with this new model for education and saying you know it's not sufficient to just have a place where uh you know you go to receive the knowledge that is forever. It's like, no, that part of education should be based on the newest knowledge. And so what we need is to have a combined institution where on the one hand, we're pursuing the newest, best understanding of the world and of the universe. And that's research, right? And on the other hand, those same people who are doing that are transmitting that knowledge uh, to students to gain sort of a base understanding so they then also can go and try to understand the world in their own way and the the ideas I'm reading off the Wikipedia page here of the Humboldtian model of higher education mm -hmm. uh, the ideas uh, you know that it was based on are the ideas of the autonomous individual on the one hand and the world citizen on the other and so it's this idea that uh, you know it creates the idea of academic freedom, which today is one of the most important concepts in higher education, that in order to truly pursue knowledge that might actually be sort of counter to established status quo ideas, right? You have to have the freedom to have ideas that are not orthodox, that somebody, you know, that the state might not even like, even if they're funding the research. Um, and you have to have autonomous individuals being able to ask whatever questions they want pursue whatever they think is, is the way to go um, with a mindset of world citizenry that everything we're doing is trying to improve the world. Exactly. Right? And so, you know, this is like core to the university today, but at the time it was radical. No one had ever combined research and education before. The idea of even doing this was, was radical. And, uh, you know, what this led to was 
the the you know I can't even remember the the name of 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 it Friedrich something <laughs> University <laughs> right. and and then uh, uh, you know uh, there was a time you know when the Nazis took power and then this university actually closed and then it reopened after the fall of the Third Reich as the Free University of Berlin for a period of time and then it was eventually named after Humboldt as sort of a you know a nod to the initial purposes of it wow. and so. The reason why I go so deep into that and, and the, you know, list of, of alumni from this school and researchers from the school is just, I mean, it's incredible. It's, it's Einstein, right? Before wow. he got chased out of Germany, by the yeah. way, right? Um, and w- we were lucky to get him over here. Right? <laughs> we were. <laughs> but it's Einstein, it's Marx, Engels, Nietzsche, Freud, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a huge number of people all the way up to present day, actually, uh, recently present day, Angela Davis, others wow. have spent time there. Um, it looks like I have to spend some time there. Maybe, maybe both of us. Hey, <laughs> we should go. I. It was a pretty cool campus, also. <laughs> I got to say, um, and and Berlin's an amazing city. Um, but the reason why I'm so excited about this is that it reminds me that okay, that was a radical change, and that was something that no one had done before, and it now led to this whole new way of learning and exploring the world. But that was the, you know the 19th century. Yeah. And and we're still based on a very similar model. But that change was possible. What changes might be possible today, right? And I think yeah. one of the things that has not changed enough, th- a couple of things, and I think these are two of the things that you're most passionate about and some of the work you're doing now with the School of Education, which I'd love mm-hmm. to talk about if we yeah. could. Uh, it's public now, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Sem- well, it, it's, it's, it's semi-public. Uh, hopefully, the time this podcast releases. Public, public. <laughs> public enough for a podcast. Public enough for a podcast. Definitely. Uh, is, uh, so, one is that despite the more inclusive idea of the Enlightenment that the autonomous individual everyone has to be able to pursue what they want, higher education today is still extraordinarily exclusive. As you said, you know, you're yeah. part of the Summer Bridge program and you feel like, oh, wow. Students from all backgrounds are here, and and people who understand the life I've been through are here. And then 42,000 of the 43,000 come back, and you're like, oh, wow. Actually, it's a lot of very wealthy people. It's a shift. Yeah. And so that's one, is that it's still not reaching the full diversity of of people in our society. And I believe talent is distributed across society. And so we're we're not creating a platform for people who are qualified and could do great things in the world right now to the extent we need to and and then the other is that i think that at least on the undergraduate education side uh, another thing that's useful to remember is that the features of today another critical feature in addition to the ones that were introduced by humboldt is now grades yeah right and and at the time humboldt was was emphatic that higher education should be should be designed on scientific principles not on market-based principles yeah. um grades are very marketable very sense of numbers you know absolutely yeah and it's a way to vet students for employment and, and and sort of to offload some of the the hiring process back to universities and maybe there's a role for that right maybe in today's world there is a role for this but um uh, you know, Tim McKay knows more about this than I do. I don't know if you've talked to Tim. Have you, no, have you met I Tim at I all? I think I met Tim. Yeah, I haven't I, talked to him. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you've got to talk to him. Um, he's he's so he knows so much history of all the stuff that you're interested in. Um, but he's he's noted that you know the University of Michigan introduced grades just a little more than a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. So we're a two hundred year old institution, and only about half of our time have we actually even had grades. Um, and so the original Humboldtian model didn't have yeah. grades. Um, 
And we did it for a sort of arbitrary reason. It was so that we could be like qualified for some national honor society. <laughs> Wow, and it, that was kind of all the it, thought that went into it as the, well. The, the prestige, the marketability—it's there. Guess. It comes with it. Yeah. I guess, yeah. And but now I think we have so much understanding that grades aren't actually helping people learn, right? Yeah. Um, and in some ways, they might actually be holding people back from learning. Yeah, there there's a hindrance that kind of comes with it, especially at university, where I think uh, my population, you know, my my minority group, we yeah. come to campus behind, um, and it it, it kind of we realized that, hey, how is this guy in this class going to all these um, <laughs> tailgates, coming to class stumbling and still succeeding? You know, they've already been exposed to the resources and for them, campus is like a, right. a walk in the park. Sure. And so, you know, that's another point is that that kind of blends the two things together that I was talking about of challenges for undergraduate education is this grading, grade-based model where you're just constantly worrying about like, Am I above the average? What's the, you know, uh, you know. Or l- let's look at the Michigan bell curve. Right. The <laughs> curve. Yeah. The yeah. curve. And, and, and to, to, you know, this disproportionately impacts students that are already underrepresented. Exactly. And so is that creating the kind of culture of inclusivity that needs to happen? You know, there's been a million diversity efforts at the university since the 70s and, and our numbers are still not great and so what we need to think about is how do we change the overall culture yeah. um and and i think that to, to introduce wh- one of the uh, things that you're now working on with the school of education it's called leaps which is learning equity and problem solving for the public good uh which is it's a long acronym long acronym, but i like but leaps. michigan loves acronyms oh, michigan oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely we need to make an acronym for optimize at this point yeah. So we'll be more accepted by the, you know, but <laughs> uh, so leaps is different from other university degree programs designed around mastery based learning where progress is recorded through the development of a rich portfolio of experiences linked to evidence of skills that are in high demand across all sectors of the U.S. economy, yet are rarely the focus of t- typical college coursework. And so this could mean moving through at different speeds because there's not standardized models of grading and semesters in the way that we typically think of. Uh, some people might choose to spend four years. Others might choose to spend two. Uh, there's, it's engaging with experts across the entire university instead of just one discipline. It's yeah. engaging in communities. It's engaging with industries. It's trying to understand uh, you know, how people and organizations collaborate to make change on difficult problems. And it's engaging alumni in addition yeah. to the people who are on campus every day. Turns out that we can do that over Zoom pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and so you know, this to me is uh, incredibly inspiring vision and I, I think optimize hopefully has helped create some conditions for this in, in yeah. the last 10 years where we've shown that there's this incredible learning experience and environment that can happen it's not constrained by a semester yeah optimize goes across semesters it doesn't matter it's not constrained by grades it's not any one discipline but what we've been doing is co-curricular and so a student still has to be at the university doing their normal sort of degree program and then they can do optimize. And and what we found is a lot of students say, well, optimize was the main thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> Which now what we're seeing here with leaps is this is the main thing. This would be a, a, a degree program. So you wouldn't actually have to have grades at all. Yeah. Okay. So with that, <laughs> tell me about it. What's oh, yeah. how'd this, how'd you get involved in so, what's, what's going on? I mean, it, it kind of just stems back to the idea of BSB. You know, the even the collaboration with Optimize when we joined in the cohort. Um, in the same sense, I said that, you know, I'm a reflection of my, of my mother. I feel that 
you know, these optimized groups are a reflection of optimized and a reflection of the community that we learn so much to, to try to cultivate and advocate for. Um, I thought that BSB would just be an idea and an effort, hopefully outlive me while I'm in college, you know, and turn into something more tangible in the sense of, you know, we have this great idea. Um, we've seen with our own experiences that we can make this positive change amongst not just our community, but it can be emulated and replicated. Um, and it's it's free. You know, we don't have to charge anything for this curriculum. Like, how do we just get it out there? Yeah. If everyone could just do this, you know, I, I think, you know, we all think that it, it can make an impact, an impact of change, positive change. Um, but coming full circle, we never thought that BSB would get recognized and to help serve, you know, this community the University of Michigan on this grand scale. Sure. You know, so I work with uh, faculty um, in the School of Education, Leslie Herncall. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, and is this before or after you joined the master's program? This is before. Ed? Okay. So I met Leslie actually at a community event. So this is why it all entails and comes back to community. We were actually at a community event in Ypsilanti, Michigan at Park Ridge Community Center. At the time, I was interning at a program called Telling It through the RC uh, where I taught trauma-informed-based learning. RC is the residential college, residential college yeah. which has and its whole additional impact yeah, yeah. on and the Yeah, and that's university. exactly yeah. – so when I switched majors, I switched to RC. Okay. And within the RC, I was able to pick my major focus of education policy. So that was really cool that I was able to be a part of that and then go to school right across the street in the School of Ed. So <laughs> And is that cool. was that sort of a create-your-own kind of major? Or yeah, that so within the RC, you're able to write a thesis and to pick a focus, and you will pick about – think like 30 credits uh to like whatever major you have that focus in. and mine was education and there wasn't really an undergraduate education major yeah and so now being able to work on an undergraduate education major like again it comes full circle because i would have loved to work on this major and with this new leaps program that i'm we're helping design uh psb was selected by leslie and she spoke really highly of us because we've been working together now for the past two years on projects like zoom engagement um and just finding the right time and place to launch something like this you know um sharing ideas sharing uh workshops sharing uh ways to inspire the youth and leslie realizes that her position as you know a white woman um a lot older than most of us she realizes that you know there's a need for students who are more accessible more of close proximity more culturally aware than the students that we're, that we're trying to serve and represent so again coming full circle BSB, working with the School of Education, working with the dean, <laughs> the assistant dean, and faculty and staff. Yeah. Um, you go ahead. And faculty from across the university. I saw exactly. Barry Fishman's involved as well. He's, yeah. You know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so it, it's it's just incredible that, you know, we can help make this change. And I think it's important to for the university to have chosen, you know, not just us, but a group of students who empathize and, and focus on, you know, trying to cultivate, you know, giving back in a sense of like, how do we do a grassroots approach? You know, something that I know optimized the Detroit based team loves the grassroots approach because it's genuine and real. You know, let's not try to fabricate something and take it away. A lot of times with research, um, what I've seen on academic and education, higher education standpoint, is that researchers, educators, go into a classroom trying to find something that they can take away. In a sense of no, how do I go into a classroom and leave something behind for students, something tangible? Because I don't, the numbers, the statistics that we gather and take away, you know, we're not leaving anything for the students to build upon. It's like they're guinea pigs. Yeah, I. it's almost like 
that world citizen piece <clears throat> of of the initial idea had been warped. I don't know if it was entirely forgotten because I think anyone who's doing research that involves people and especially communities. I mean, this is these are hard things to research, right? Like, yeah. you know, if you're at like I've got a, a friend who's doing, you know, epigenetics. Right? Wow. <laughs> so he's in the lab studying tiny little things all yeah. the time about how if you introduce this protein, how does it change our genes? It's it's yeah. actually amazing. But that's one scale, right? And and you're not doing a ton of harm to people at least at this when you're doing the research. Yeah. Maybe if you get it wrong and <laughs> you know, you could, but but when you're dealing with people or communities, psychology, sociology, you know, any sort of community engagement, um, even if your goals are to do research that benefits the world and benefits the public and maybe even benefits that community, you need to remember that the process of doing the research also has an effect and it can be yeah. positive or negative. And so, like you said, you use the, you know, the guinea pig term, you know, in a lot of labs in the natural sciences, mice are used for research purposes, right? And a lot of times we do things to mice in the name of advancing science to benefit humans and the planet. Yeah. We do things to mice that aren't so great, right? That we wouldn't want to do to humans. and But that's accepted as part of the process. And there's some people who aren't all that happy about that, right? But um, but when you're working with communities, that it's a whole different thing. You can't treat them like mice. And I'm not saying that researchers have so little care behind what they do, but I think you're right that there is, there are many parts of the state of Michigan where if you're wearing the block M, you've got trust to build rather than bringing trust. Yeah. And it's not that it can't be built, you know, but uh, I think that what you're onto is really, really important that the way that this engagement happens has to factor in the immediate impact with the community. And it can't just be saying, I'm trying to get something from you so that someday later I'll publish a paper that will help you. It has to be a much more immediate beneficial interaction, I think. Yeah, we have to realize our target audience in the same way that you said, you know, we spoke on grades being marketable, you know, how how can we tailor, you know, an idea or a project, you know, to our target audience, you know? How do we market them? How do we market this towards them? You know, the same way um when I first started BSB, I thought, hey, it'd be so cool <laughs> to walk into a classroom with the with the full blown suit on, <laughs> tie and everything, you know. And I remember I was this I went back to my high school, I think, for like the first ever engagement and I'm like, This is cool, but like I, I think I'm gonna come back like in sneakers next time. Oh yeah. Graphic tees. This is a huge thing for me because yeah. I'm now living this. I don't have it right now, but most days you see a little hanger there. Yeah, I've got like a nice shirt mm -hmm. that I just keep in the office because yeah. most of the time if I'm with students and I'm wearing like a nice shirt and blazer, yeah. like people are like, well, you're in, like, what are you, an administrator? Right. And, and not that <laughs> people don't like administrators. Yeah. They just don't think of them as peers, you yeah. know, and, and so I wear T-shirts and jeans and everything like that. Though sometimes I need to be with administrators exactly. and be seen as an, so I need to have both. <laughs> yeah, which is how you present yourself is important, and I think that that's something that's so exciting about this leaps, you know, program. Which I I, I want to hear a little bit more detail on like the concrete, like what's this going to look like? But yeah, to see one thing that as I now I'm embracing my identity as a university administrator. I think I thought of myself as like this rogue like student, kind of like creating a student led thing exactly. for a decade. But now I'm like, wait a minute. Now I've actually kind of gotten there where I wanted yeah. to be and I'm a university administrator and my role is to make sure that I'm creating conditions for other students to try to do what I did and be leaders of creating the kinds of changes in under, undergraduate education and graduate education 
that that we believe in and and yeah. that you know you really have to trust students much more than i think administrators have typically trusted students to actually say you might have really good ideas and, and you might be able to shape this program in ways that we wouldn't have thought of and we will do it together because you know administrators have a lot of background and experience too but you don't see it often usually it's just a top-down kind of design exactly. and saying that the students will want it but what this program seems to be doing and what you know dean moji and and i, I i've uh forgotten the name of the faculty member you mentioned yeah um but is saying you know we know kind of the kind of thing we're trying to do but we need people like nando and, and bsb involved in the design process of this not just the marketing but actually right. the design process so that students who are closer to you will have more trust in it and will understand it better and and, and that it will actually be designed for their needs better so like right now our, our audience has shifted now we're pitching to students sure instead of administration and, and funders we're pitching to students you know, we're flipping the script in a sense of how do we make this for them? Yeah. You know, and, and, and in all aspects for them. Because if we're going to change, not even change, like you said, the, the grading system is a newer policy if you look at it like that. But how do we, you know, go back in time? Um, in the same sense of, you know, looking at my past research, I'm just thinking now about how cars were at first electric until they developed the electric starter to then start a, a gasoline engine. Um, and I did extensive research with battery technology. But looking back at like this research approach and moving with leaps, we saw that, you know, if we're able to learn in a, in a new community, or it might not be so new to us, with, with that being Detroit, and using the Mary Grove High School's campus for college students to then engage and to move freely from Ann Arbor to, to Detroit, um, I think it would set a precedence for the way education should be in a sense of of giving back, in a sense of hey if i can teach something I'm, i can master it so, mary grove high school yeah i know a bit about it but tell me more so mary grove high school my first uh time i was able to collaborate with them i think was when all the students were going into their freshman year of high school so it's really cool now coming full circle again working with these students and they're now i believe they're now s juniors going to be seniors so this is the fourth, fourth year of this institution third or fourth third year. or fourth don't year. quote me yeah and just to be clear, it's separate from the LEAPS program. It's separate from the LEAPS program, but, but the LEAPS program is designed to connect with these students okay. on this, on this uh, campus. So the LEAPS program is a program at the University of Michigan Correct. Uh, that will coming fall 2022. Hopefully. Really? Hopefully. Yeah. That's fast. Yeah, they're renovating the dorms on Mary Girl's campus, and that's going to be where it, the survey that we're launching is going to kind of indicate, you know, do students want to live on a campus for a year outside of the Ann Arbor University of Michigan campus? Okay. And But then be in touch close proximity to students, which unknowingly to them, it's going to help inspire them. Because I remember, I mean, this is just my own experience, you know, not to say like my experience is, is, is a key, but I remember from personal experience that I went to high school with with college students um the building i was in the alfred tubman building for design or formerly called the argonaut building which is the former headquarters of gm it's so many amazing historical facts the first corvette was designed there so it's pretty cool um in this building we shared a space with college students and professionals and i remember like seeing like while wow, these ccs college for care studies is the school that was there like while wow, these students are like doing this amazing work and they would showcase their artwork all throughout the school. Yeah. And it's like, wow, like I want to be an artist one day too. Like, you know, there was so many, I was exposed to so many career paths and professions that 
I saw the importance of, hey, I, I can be an artist. I can be an engineer. You know, I am an engineer. I might not have the degree, but I was able to work in that field for years and do research. And I was able to do artwork and have it publicly showcased in a sense of, you know, you can be what you seek to be. You know, you don't have to have, you know, these certain parameters to, to be that thing. But with the LEAPS program, um, it's designed to, like, accelerate learning of key skills and concepts needed for engaged project work in a sense that we can hopefully have a cohort of students from the University of Michigan in this new undergraduate major, you know, work hand in hand on the Marigold campus and even live there to feel like in that sense of community and belongingness. Because even looking back at the bridge program, having that community, you know, I will see a bridge student to this day and, and it's, it's we're, we're cool, you know, yeah, because we were all within the same community. And it's like, I don't want to leave that community. And how do I help cultivate it and, and make it something, you know, in, important. And, uh, yeah, I think Leaps is going in an amazing direction and taking notice of, you know, this mastery-based learning and even the approach of, you know, there won't be SAT or uh, ACT requirements for this undergraduate major That's coming in from high school. Um, because at times, you know, we're looking for those students who have that willingness to, to do community work. You know, there isn't really a degree for community work and engagement. And so this is kind of where this major, you know, has a, 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 a breakthrough in this sense of, you know, this is going to kind of change that dynamic. Well, I think, I mean, so LEAPS as an undergraduate program, mm -hmm. to me, would be incredibly attractive, at least to who I am today. I, I, I need to catch myself and realize I'm not an incoming student anymore yeah. either, right? So, I, you know, but the idea that, okay, there's not grades, but it's based on getting good at the things you want to get good at. Exactly. And trying to measure that in different ways and at paces that make more sense, right? Mm -hmm. Um if I had, you know, been graded, actually, when I took piano lessons for a couple of years as a kid, and I hated it, yeah. and I was always not good at it by th that assessment, because someone else was telling me to do it by a certain time, and I had to practice it by that time, the thing they wanted me to play, and I never learned anything. I, I wasn't good. And then a few years later, the piano was around the house, and the song Clocks by Coldplay was popular, yeah. and I sit down and start playing like, you know, like, and... It's like, oh, wait, I could do that. I yeah. can learn by ear and I can learn on my own pace. And now I play piano all the time and I'm okay at it. I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> and and so, you know, to me, that style of learning, much more self-directed project-based, based on things that you like and care about, you want to get good at, um, makes a lot of sense and doing yeah. it in you know your own time. And so that's an undergraduate program that hopefully will be coming soon, Yeah, which to me is just incredibly exciting. One of the most exciting things I've heard. And I, and I believe that coming from the University of Michigan, it can also help propel this idea across the country. Yeah. And if the University of Michigan agrees sure. to it, you know, wh why can't anyone else agree to it? But but then there's this connection to Marygrove, which I think for people who aren't aware, we've been talking a little bit about it. I just yeah. want to pull back and make sure people understand this. So this is a, a K through 12 school in Detroit that is created in collaboration with the School of Education at the University of Michigan. Correct. And it's a school for students, K through 12 students, but also a school for teachers. So students at the University of Michigan training to be teachers. Exactly. So one of my friends actually, uh, she's there doing like a teacher education sure. program for like a couple of years there. Yeah. And so the vision of the LEAP connection is potentially also having LEAP students be engaged in this area. With the same, with the same students, with the, the K through 12. With the K through 12 students. Yeah. 
um, but not necessarily as teachers. Right. As I think it'll be more focalized around project-based learning. Sure. And having these student advocates in the classroom represent, you know, more having the culture where, you know, representation in the classroom. I and, believe. and maybe help is it so what kinds of things would uh so say okay say that i'm a leaps perspective leaps student okay because <laughs> uh, i you know you're, you're kind of quiz me on this because <laughs> we haven't been trained this but go ahead go ahead jeff i got it <laughs> well that's that's all right i mean we don't you know if there's anything that's your that yeah. you, it's just like well it's not decided yet or right. can't talk about it yet that's fine yeah but do I have to be engaged with K through 12 students or might I be engaged with community organizations instead? You know, is how, what is that? Yeah. I mean, I don't have the direct answer to that um, particularly, but I believe that right now we're trying to gather a list of community um, supporters and lists of people that we can, you know, then and say work with um, because I think that is something that's really important as well is having that community based um yeah, so I'm not exactly sure if I can answer that question yet. That, that's yeah. all right. I don't <laughs> want to put you on the spot. Yeah. I know that, you know, this is not a, a Nando Felton yeah, alone not, project. Yeah. You know, this is a. I, I can't speak on that on the whole team because yeah. I know I play a, a role, but you know, it, it's an important role, but it, it doesn't. I don't have the say in exactly what yeah. <laughs> that looks like. Yeah, know? and that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I think I you know I've heard enough to be really excited, and I yeah. can't wait to see more coming out about this. There's a video coming out sometime relatively soon. Yeah, a video with a survey for undergraduate and uh, high school students. Yeah, yeah. To kind of see if they um, are interested in something like this. Yeah, I'll which I hope that the numbers will, will show a positive impact and interest. Oh, it will. Yeah. I mean, who <laughs> likes grades? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, I don't think anyone does. <laughs> no. Even like, I remember even coming from a valedictorian standpoint, like I didn't like that. It was cool. You know, I, I, I can't say it wasn't cool, but I didn't like the separation that it caused. And um, even like a, a, not a hierarchy, but like almost like, are you better than me? And I'm not. Yeah. And my friends are all incredibly smart. Um, I just decided to, to focus all my intents of finding a way to get into college. So you're, I, I actually hadn't <laughs> picked up on this until right now, but it's, there's some beautiful irony here that, yeah. you know, the guy who was the 3.99 student yeah. valedictorian, you know, you're pretty good at grades. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> no, I, but I, now I, you're, you're the anti-grade guy. Yeah. Even in college, I mean, uh, my grade is like, ref didn't reflect my high school, but I kind of realized that, you know, I got to college and I tried really hard my my first couple of years and I was like, why am I still like messing up? Like, why am I still not at that point? But I realized that I don't want to say my high school didn't prepare me, but I mean, it didn't, you know, it didn't prepare me for the rigorous math courses, the extensive, you know, writing and, and reading and just the, the level of Michigan classes compared to other universities that I would say is different. You know, it kind of puts it a cut above everyone else. And so with that being said, I remember being in like calculus and math classes and my teacher was like, Nando can teach the whole entire class on these courses. But when it came time for the test, it was almost like I shut down. Huh. And I realized like if I can teach this in front of people and understand it, but it's just the test kind of throws it off. That's like kind of where knowing about grades, knowing about almost like a system. People say it's a certain thing called Michigan math, which it is. I think at a time Harvard had and Michigan had like the exact same math program to an extent, but Harvard dropped it because the retention rate was so low. 
Yeah. That students were just almost like built off memorization and they weren't really building and gaining the way they're supposed to. But Michigan kind of stuck along with this math program. But speaking back on grades, I just saw that it was important to learn and to engage in, in communities and doing impactful, meaningful work in the classroom. Because grades, to an extent, are important for like satisfactory things like financial aid and scholarships and so forth. But I feel like if we just press more towards the mastery based learning in a sense of, hey, let's do this for a real reason, not just to to get these grades to boast, to, to get this land this great job. But what are we really doing this for? And you don't want to so much of what's happening with grades now is people cram something yeah. in a, into a very short term memory kind of place. Exactly. Do it for the test and then actually don't really retain it and exactly. don't use it for anything. And it's not applicable. It's not applicable. And yeah. so many of those tests are designed to trick you and trying to, you know, and, and it's not building toward a long term sustainable path of yeah. I want to be good at this thing for a reason. Right. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to use it in your life every day directly, but it you have to find a way into a narrative of like it's going to help me do something exactly. that I care about, you know. So, well, I think we're, you know, we could keep going for a long yeah, time. I just want to share one thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Imagine taking that idea and then teaching students. Imagine cramming one night for for first day class, cramming and packing all the stuff in and then trying to, to teach someone. You know, I feel like that's a reason why, you know, these grades to an extension exist because the same sense of students trying to cram and pack and memorize, you know, imagine doing that in the professional world, Jeff. Yeah. like you're trying to cram pack and memorize everything for optimize, but it's not like that. It's like a living experience, it's a daily practice, daily practice. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's like breathing. That's why yeah. breathing so important. I mean, so many different traditions, you know, have breathing practices and I've got my own breathing practice every morning, yeah. you know, although I forgot to do it this morning because <laughs> I was in a rush to get here. Yeah. <laughs> I actually do a breathing practice before I go to sleep. And oh, it okay. Helps really, it helps really well. What do you yeah. do? I just take a, I try to take a, maybe like five or six deep breaths mm -hmm. so I can kind of get like that, that breathing just, just down to like more of a sleeping state. Yeah. I yeah. do that too. You do too? It's uh, <laughs> like the, it gets your like parasympathetic part of your nervous system going yeah. or something like that. I'm not an expert, but yeah, I don't try to like hold my breath, but I was like, Hey, how can I slow it down? Just yeah. taking some deep breaths. Yeah. I actually do hold my breath <laughs> in the mornings. <laughs> really? I do this, this thing where I, it's called the Wim Hof <laughs> method, um, which I, I don't know if I fully endorse, but I endorse this part of it, yeah. which is, you know, you do like 25, like deep in deep out as fast mm -hmm. kind of pretty fast and then you hold after the last one for a while and i just love the focus that it yeah. like it trains my focus because if i'm not focused i've talked about this in like each of the last three podcasts yeah. episodes, but I'm, really, <laughs> I'm excited by it if i'm not focused i can i can only hold my breath for like a little more than a minute yeah. you know if my brain's everywhere and i'm getting distracted and i'm moving all around you know if i have to pee i have to pee right <laughs> now which is part of the reason why we have to wrap this up but, <laughs> right but um but if I'm focused, I can now go. The other day, I did three minutes, eleven seconds wow. hold, you know, and 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 then did another few rounds of that. And um, there's something to that of like being able to really force yourself into a focused state where you have to focus. Right. But then at night, yeah, I do like very slow. I try to like breathe in as slowly and as long as I can, and then exhale as slowly and as long as I can for like s three or four breaths because it does the same for me. It just gets me into a more of calm state calm state before they sleep yeah. so well with that we can end on a calm state okay. this has been <laughs> this has been wonderful and i think uh you know i really really appreciate 
you telling your story and I, I feel like I know you a lot better than at the start of this Thank conversation <laughs> and uh, inspired by, you know, how you've translated that into paying it forward to so many people. I mean, so many kids now have had this experience that they are able to see possibility that they didn't see before. And, yeah. and you know, this leaps program that you're a part of helping to, to get off the ground is, something I definitely want to support and be a part of however I can yeah. once it gets going. It's, it's, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And if it's, it seems like there could be really natural integrations with Optimize. So yeah. we should definitely, definitely talk more the about community that. partnership, just the whole, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and even if, you know, some students end up going to community college before they come to Michigan, yeah, I that can see this being that bridge. Yeah, yeah. It could be a really interesting place for community college students to potentially get plugged in. And yeah. as you know, we're, we just want to keep growing that. So, I wrote a ridiculous funding proposal to try to get way more funds for community college students the other day. So, Nando, fantastic having you. Thank you, Jeff, thanks for, for having the time. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. This Take is, care, uh, Episode. I don't know what episode. I don't know what episode. I've really. Here's what we're doing. We've we're gonna record a few, and once we have like five really good ones, we're gonna like go out with them. So I think this definitely qualifies as as one of the really good ones. So sounds good. All Thank right. you, Jeff. Thanks, Nando. Take care, listeners. 